I'm Allison Knowlton Mason. I'm Stanley Bradley, and we're friends turned family, getting together to tell stories, laugh, observe, and think. This is the Framley Meeting. So today we're digging into memory, which is a funny one for me because I have a trash memory. <laughs> like <laughs> you tell me something, I'll just get it right away. But also I remember things from a really long time ago. Uh, so again, in our 360 view of a word, uh, this one's like a little more opaque as to how to do this, but we're thinking like how memory works, um, basically like whether something's like a whole memory or just a feeling, whether or not it's accurate or not. And in that sort of the things that come with the memory, so like the context of a memory and how that can actually in some ways and at different times be more important than, than the memory itself. And then how that context can actually change memory the importance of memory over time. Um, and then the second way to think about it is kind of what you remember and how that starts to determine who you are. Um, so memories as sort of like these important holders of bits of the experience that makes us who we are in a moment. Um, and then, you know, the quote unquote good or quote unquote bad memories and how we either hold or let go of those. So we are, as we say in our opening every week, people who like to tell stories and laugh. And so I think today will probably be a more story heavy day than other days. So get to dive into the background of Santa Nelson. So uh, let's start. I'm put this to you. What is your earliest memory? Well, my earliest memory is like quintessential Stan. And you know this story because you've known it's me one for of 20, my plus, favorite stories. 20 plus years. <laughs> So we'll set up Golden Girl style, picture it. No, no, but it is, it's like, we will picture it. So it's the 1980s, which is critical, right? It's early eighties. I'm a little kid. I'm like four, it's breakfast time. So I have on these little, the typical 80 out, 80s outfits, which is like a t-shirt and some little short shorts. It's breakfast. I'm in my high chair. We're sitting down as at as a family at the table for, it's Saturday morning breakfast, right? So it's like, you know, my mom has cooked a full breakfast. There are eggs, there is sausage, there are biscuits. There's homemade jelly from my grandmother who mm. like that, that's a whole nother memory. Like I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Like I didn't know that jet, that people bought jelly at the store <laughs> until I, like, until I got like 10 or 11. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we're all sitting down to breakfast, grits, sausage, all these things. If you don't know, I love to eat, like I love to eat. I have always loved to eat. Eating is one of the most probably important things to me. <laughs> and just in terms of like enjoying meals and enjoying food. So this has been all of my life. So we're sitting down to breakfast and there's hot food. And so my mom is dishing out the food and she she's like, she gives me everything on the plate and she's like, Stan, don't eat the grits because the grits are hot. Let the grits cool off a minute. What is the first thing I do? Like, I can smell these grits. I can see these grits. I'm excited about these grits. So what is the first thing I eat? Not the <laughs> eggs. I eat the grits. So I put the grits in my mouth and they are on fire, literally. <laughs> and so I'm like, hot. Like, I don't even remember what I said. I just remember the grits touched my, they touched my tongue and then fell out of my mouth. Now this is the 80s. They fell out of my mouth onto my thigh. 
my little four-year-old thigh and they said, <laughs> like they literally sizzled and left a mark on my thigh that was there probably well into my teens, I think. Like it, was like it it was like a dime-sized grit. <laughs> grit burn. Grit burn. And my mom, who is like the quintessential Southern woman, was like, I told you they were hot. Now you're burnt. And now you're burnt. So you won't do that again. <laughs> and so that is like my earliest memory. And like, when I tell you, I remember them going on my skin. Like, I do remember them like making a sound oh. as they hit my skin. And I was like, they're hot. And she was like, that is what I told you. And I think there was general laughing around the table. Of course, my feelings were hurt. Cause and I, your leg was burnt. My feelings was hurt, my leg was burnt, my tongue was burnt. And, but now I don't eat hot grits. So there you go. You I still eat grits. Cool you gotta let them cool down. I let them cool down. So yeah, that is probably That's amazing. my earliest, earliest memory. Um, and then I think my next earliest memory is my showbiz birthday party. So it, um, he was he wasn't Chuck E. Cheese is a mouse. So Showbiz was a bear. I don't remember the bear's name. Okay. But I remember this birthday party because it was my first non like at the house birthday party. It was my mm -hmm. first going to a venue birthday party. Mm -hmm. And so all my cousins were there. All my friends were there. I had a special birthday outfit. Do you remember Granimals? So it was Granimals. Granimals. They were these clothes. And they were like matching coordinating clothes, right? Okay. And it had a little animal on it, like a little tiger. Uh-huh. But like they super so like for like if you bought the shirt, like the shirt would be like green, would be like a white t-shirt with green and blue stripes. Mm -hmm. And then it came with the blue shorts, right? Okay. So I was seven. Like seven is like kind of when you age out of granimals. So I had a blue granimal sweater. Mm -hmm and some khaki pants <laughs> and some brand new Nikes. Okay. The, the, the khaki pants had like a thin blue stripe that went down the side that and matched the sweater. And you were fancy, yeah. And I was fancy and we were going to showbiz and all my friends, like my friend, like I never had parties where friends from school and cousins came, like it was either or, right? Okay, okay. So like either, and mostly it was like cousins. Because mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's, I have a big extended family. So most of the time it was like cousins come over for cake and ice cream. Mm -hmm. But like this was cousins and school friends. So like oh. I was the star. Ooh. And like that is like, I remember that. Like I can remember sitting on the couch waiting for my mom to drive us to showbiz. <laughs> like I can just remember like being dressed and just sitting waiting for her to be like, let's go Stan. And it was amazing. Like we ran around showbiz, we had tokens, we ate pizza. That is like my, those are my two earliest memories. No, oh, I love that. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, <clears throat> so, you know, I don't know if you've seen this thing on going around Twitter and the internet about understanding the assignment. Yeah. Um, I, I think <laughs> I did not understand the assignment this question when I was prepping. So I'm going to give you way more than you're asking for here, but I am going to start with the story of my earliest memory is, well, it, it's like a compound memory. One is like a category that like, I was just boy crazy. Like, you know, how some, how kids, there's a point where they think the, the other 
like sex is gross. You know, yes. they're like, ew, boys are gross. I don't think I ever had that. Oh, <laughs> I think wow. I have liked boys from the time that I realized that they were different from girls. And so I was in kindergarten and there was this boy that I just thought was so cute. And we were in class one day and I don't remember what we were doing all the, all the way that I was able to even do this, but I just like was by him and I kissed him on his hand. Cause I was just like, he's so cute. I like, can't take it. <laughs> he's just so, such a cute, cute kid. And the sad thing, the good thing about that is that like, you know, I didn't get in trouble. I don't remember getting in trouble about that. Um, and it was a Christian school, you know, so they were like, there's no kissing. There's no putting your lips on other, <laughs> other people. But I don't think I got in trouble because we were like four or five. So I think that was fine. This The bad thing about this is that I then proceeded to go to school with this same kid all the way through senior year of oh. high school. <laughs> and so it, you know, it could have been a much worse story that, you know, sometimes in these, like in, in like teen movies or whatever, it's like, you know, you're like, cruelly bullied about something like this our social structure both in elementary school and high school um and I went to I only went to two schools so I went to a k or pre-k six school okay. and then a seven twelve. Okay. so there wasn't like a like a middle school per se but we all a lot of us traveled through those two schools together so the st social structure of those two schools was pretty level for our grade I, I know other grades were not as as level, but like there weren't like big differences between the popular people and the not popular people. Okay. And so I was always somewhere, somewhere south of the popular people, but like, you know, no, no one was like bullying me or whatever. But this guy did tell this story <laughs> all the way through. And I would just be like, bro, like, can you stop? <laughs> to the not point that he, one of my, I'm, I'm only really good friends with one person from high school now. And that person ran into this guy in 2020, just last year. <laughs> and that guy, he's like, you know, who do you still talk to? He's like, oh, I still talk to Allison. He's like, oh, she kissed me when we were five. And I'm like, oh my gosh, please. Man, that is part of his, that is part of his origin story. That is in his like emotional core. And I'm like, I wish that would get free. So you could <laughs> stop telling, I'm 41 years old. Could you oh, stop you telling are, people no, he what was I did the when Mac. I was five? Apparently, like, apparently, I'm sure he uses that story to get girls. I mean, he married his, his high school sweetheart, so they've been okay. together for like 30 years. Oh, or something so then like she that. definitely knows the story. Oh, uh, she, we went to high, she, I went to high school with her, so <laughs> she absolutely knows the story and tells it. And I was like, "Don't worry, that I'm trying to take your man. Just, just know the story, <laughs> but don't, <laughs> don't be concerned about that." Um, but so that's my first kind of clear, very clear memory as a kid. Um, but like I said, I don't didn't understand the assignment. So I did much more here on this question than I was supposed to. So what I was thinking through, I was thinking through kind of like the sections of my life as defined by school and was just kind of thinking through like what did stick and what didn't stick from those times. And so I had like a couple of key things that stuck out to me as memories either whole or partial that have like hung, like hung with me all this time and then I was also very interested to think back about what didn't stick and so it's kind of funny so basically in elementary school kissing that boy was the number one thing being boy crazy was a consistent theme 
Um, but I also remember the black kids calling me names. Like this one guy called me black Buddha, which I still, to this day, I just what? don't all the way understand how that's an insult, especially considering the fact that he was the same color as me. And I follow him on Facebook now. So like, I know we are the same color. So like, I think he was trying to imply that I was dark, but again, I'm like, you are also dark. So I don't, yeah, but it seems like know. a strange thing for him to do. Yeah. And so I think that was, I've talked about this in other episodes, but like, I think my racial consciousness, that was one of the foundational stones in my racial consciousness. I don't think that I really started to dig into it and like parse out what any of it meant, but I definitely yeah. like, I still remember that I was on the bus and he said it as an insult. And even then I was like, black Buddha. Okay. Like, I don't, a, I don't know what that is. Like, is that like, is that like a Buddhist reference? I was like, like this is yeah, a Christian like- environment. I'm pretty sure this is not a Buddhist reference. And I'm like, and I guess you're comparing me to something that's like pitch black. So you're calling me dark. And I was like, okay. Yeah, dark. Great. Too. But you're yeah, also that's- dark and that's weird. So that's one thing. Um, and then another thing in that same vein is that I decided I wanted to go to the neighborhood school for middle school, which my parents <laughs> just roundly rejected that whole idea. Um, so I, after sixth grade, I was like, I'm not going to this, you know, to the other school, the seven through 12 school. I want to go to the school in the corner. They're like, no, you don't. Not even <laughs> like, no, you're not. Just that's not really what you want. <laughs> like, you know, like you, not even. They were, they didn't even entertain it. Like they were right. just like. Like oh. it was a serious conversation. Yeah. Like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> and I think I tried to put it on some sort of like, you have to pay tuition at this other school. So this school is free. And they were like, let us manage our money. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, ah, haha, you think it's funny you make decisions like that. That's right. You bring zero dollars into this house. You can like, be quiet. Your choice matters, right. ma'am. <laughs> um, and then other fun things, like somebody read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to me when I was in third grade. Still love that yeah, book like and that series. Is... Yes, which I was thinking about this after the Consciousness episode that C.S. Lewis and Lion, the... Chronicles of Narnia does fall into that like I love it even though I probably shouldn't yeah stupid racist stuff in there that's like just subtle and dumb and so I'm like C.S. Lewis stop but um yeah and then like the sixth grade kickball game was a big deal sixth graders got to play against the teachers and that was always such a big deal and like so fun and such a like a positive memory for me um, what did not stick, and I'll fast forward through <laughs> high school as well, but what did not stick was doing any schoolwork. I don't have any recollection from pre-K to senior year of high school doing any schoolwork. Really? And I know I did. I must yeah. have. Like, you don't, don't remember, like, that's fascinating because, like, I can remember very clearly, like, projects like social studies projects. Did you like all of it? I, I like school, so. Yeah, I was indifferent about school. I, like I, I was like, like, it's just a place to talk to, like you, you stop talking to people in order to listen to somebody talk for a little while and then you go back to talking to your friends. No, I liked school, I liked school. So I have memories of, like I have memories of when, and like you said, this is, this is kind of skipping around, but now that I remember in, as far like I took in high school, I took French mm-hmm. like 
all four years. And so what I remember about that is being really good in French. And in the ninth grade, we had a French club convention where okay. we went to the University of Alabama and there was a competition and I recited a poem and okay. I got I got third place out nice. of all. I still remember the title. I don't remember the poem, but I remember the title. It's L'Aujourd'hui C'est L'Automne, which all means right. today is autumn. I still remember that. Look so like, this. yeah. So I'm, I, I remember school very, like very, I can remember not specific tests, but I can remember like, like with French, we also did two, we also went to like the elementary schools and were quote unquote tutors. We really just went there and taught them some French vocabulary mm -hmm. like once a month, but it was mm -hmm. fun. Like we each had to come up with a creative way to teach, to review something for AP history. Mm -hmm. I remember making like a bingo game mm -hmm. and printing it on red, white, and blue paper because it was AP US history. Mm -hmm. And like, we did this bingo game and I was like, who's going to win bingo? All right. Yeah, no, I re that's funny. You don't remember school. I, I clearly remember school. Well, it's interesting. So I, <clears throat> this connects both to like what we specifically remember, but also why. So when I was thinking about this, I was like, like I said, school was like, an interruption of the thing that I liked about being at school, like I'm not school. The classwork was an interruption to the thing I liked about being at school, which was talking to people and looking at boys. And <laughs> I stopped kissing them just without consent after, uh, after, <laughs> after kindergarten. kindergarten. But to me, like the things that I remember, the things that have the strongest like stickiness in my mind are the things that have like a strong emotional core to them. And so because I was so indifferent about high, uh, about school and elementary and high school, I always, like, I, I think I said this in an episode about how I'm just, I was like an okay student. Like I generally, I think carried like a B plus average, which to me felt great. Like I was like, I'm above average. I'm not doing too much to stress myself out. Nobody's worried about me. I'm going to be able to do what I want to do after high school and it'll be fine. What I do remember from college, I remember doing work in college, in undergrad because I took, I had an economics major, which is one of the poor decisions of my life <laughs> <laughs> because I really liked the economics classes freshman and sophomore year, but did not like them junior and senior year, which is when it got real. And so I remember those because they were, they had a strong emotional core of like trauma. Like I was like, why am I in this major? This is <laughs> bad, help. And my dad was dead serious. He was like, you were out of there in four years. So in my mind, changing majors was a direct correlation to having to stay longer than four years. And so I was like, well, that was one thing that my parents really put their foot down about. They were like, you got four years to get in and out of college. And so I was like, well, I made this choice here. I am, but I hate, I hated it. It stressed me out deeply. And so I remember that. I remember that African-American political thought class <laughs> that I talked about last episode. And that was traumatic. Um, but I don't have a lot of like positive feelings about schoolwork until I got to grad school and I started studying graphic design. And then it felt like I had like clicked into the right place, like in the world. And I was like, this you found your, is your what I'm supposed to be doing. And so what I remember about grad school is projects. Like I was like, you know, staying up all night, everything had spray glue on it. Cause we would like spray glue our projects to like poster boards. Spray glue was everywhere. 
so yeah, that was just an interesting thing that I saw as I was like thinking through um, that those like emotional cores really, for me, have a huge part in determining what sticks and what doesn't. And see, that's so, like, I mean, and that's context, right? Context of your memory. Because yeah. I remember part of my core of who I was, was I was a really good student. Like I mm-hmm. was the mm-hmm. top black male student. And so it was like that positive, re- like that's why I remember so much of like high school in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Is because that was when people were like, oh, you're really, and this is not to like, clearly, this is not to sound like, but people are like, you're really smart. You can mm-hmm. do, you know, like you said, you can do whatever you want. You can mm-hmm. do this and you can do that. And so I think that's why I, like, it's kind of the opposite. Like, I, that's why that sticks with me so much. And then when I got to college, kind of in a similar vein, I majored in something I should not have. And not, it wasn't so much the time, it was people saying, because you are good at, so I majored in chemistry. Mm-hmm. And people were like, because you are good at math and science. You should do chemistry. You should do chemistry. What I realized is, yes, I'm good at math. What I'm really good at is following directions. Mm. Like, but my passion may have like, but what I really like is like, and when I've come to, I like history. I like writing Mm. and didn't discover that until again, because kind of like you, I wasn't bad at the other thing. And -hmm. at this point I was like, again, Charles and Audrey were like, kind of like Lou and Karen. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is four years because this is expensive. Right. We don't do that hanging around. No. no. So I was like, you know what? I'm not bad at this. Let me go ahead and push through. Do it, push through. But again, kind of like you, it was like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like I have, I have horrible memories of chemistry of like, just being like, oh, this sucks. Not anything specifically, but just being like this, like you said, particularly after when you get into the upper level courses, it's just, yeah, it's just grind. That freshman, sophomore thing will sneak up on you. Like you're like, oh, look at this. This is nice. And the other thing is like with freshman and sophomore year, which I do remember, is that like the classes are a little bit bigger because people aren't deep into their major. Right. Right. So there's a social element to at least for us, there was like a social element to studying. Right. There was like, you're also, you're not just taking major courses. So you're like, so you're like, you like, I got my feel of English. It mm-hmm. wasn't until I made my English and all those requirements when I was just taking like organic chemistry and physics and all that sciencey stuff. And that's all I was taking. Right. Like what, maybe one elective that you right. get to be like, oh, wow. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And the thing that saved me was the fact that my minor was studio art. So, which was a, such a strange combination. And again, like I, who, who was there to tell me? Somebody should have been <laughs> like, sis, this is not what you want. But I got to, you know, take statistics, which, which, which was the class that almost knocked me out of even thinking about the major because it was so hard for me. And then I would go from there to ceramics. And so I'm like, well, at least I get to dig my hands in this clay today and I can just take it out on the wheel. So, okay. So that's a little bit of background um, and a little bit of like how we got, like what sticks and why, but 
let's do a little specific storytelling. What are memories that feel really important to you? So just thinking about one of the most important memories for me is my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, mm-hmm. my mom's dad, when, excuse me, my maternal grandfather, my mom's dad, when he died, he was old, he was like 88. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like the patriarch of our family. So he had a big funeral, lots of people around. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother is his only daughter. Mm-hmm. She's kind of a daddy's girl. Like she only him- child. Only, only daughter. daughter. Only, only daughter. daughter. Okay. Yeah. She was his care. She's both, both my grandparents' caretakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like she, I guess one memory I have is like, she never called, you know how as like you all, I don't know if you do it or not, but like I call my parents Nanny and Bubba because that's what my nephews call them. Right. Mm. So we called my grand, we called my grandfather, granddaddy and my grandmother, granny. Mm-hmm. And so my mom called my grandmother granny, but mm-hmm. she always called my grandfather daddy. Like she okay. never called him granddaddy, like okay. everybody else. She always called mm-hmm. him daddy. And so I think that's that's just a symbol of, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of relationship they had. And so I remember, like, it's right before the funeral, before you get into the procession. We're very Southern. So we're at the house mm-hmm. and the preacher prays before we get ready to get into the cars. And so my mom is in the yard. Like there are literally probably 75 to 80 people at my grandparents' house. Mm. This is prior to the funeral. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, she's shaking hands with cousins. She's hugging, she's kissing. She's being hostess. She's being, you know, who she is. And so they call her up. They're like, can you come to the house so we can have the prayer? And as she comes in, she starts to cry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of that, when you see your parents who never cry, cry, like it does something to you. Yeah. And so I was, I was, 17 at the time so I was you know about to become an adult Mm -hmm. and so she's crying while simultaneously also still trying to greet people as she walks into the house right Mm. so she's like doing this like strong black woman thing like Mm -hmm. this is not you know I will not break down right now Mm -hmm. and so that that's part one of them like I just remember that and being like really touched by that Mm -hmm. like remembering like this is important this is she's grieving for her father Mm-hmm. And the other thing I remember is, I don't remember where he came from, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden there's my father, mm-hmm. like just comforting her, like being right beside her, his hand on her back, like as she is moving through the crowd, making her way to the living room for this prayer. I also remember him like just being right there with her, like stroking her back, his arms around her shoulder. And I remember, I think, and I don't know if I knew that at the time, mm-hmm. but what I now know is that I think that was my first time seeing them as people who are not my parents. As a couple. But seeing them as a couple, seeing yeah. them as Charles and Audrey, like a glimpse into their relationship and like who they are mm, together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's one of my most important, like it's something that I will always remember mm-hmm. and kind of always treasure. And I don't know. And I think the, the thing was, like I said, again, it was the combination of her being vulnerable in a way that like, you just don't see your mother as being, mm-hmm. your mother as being vulnerable. And then like his comfort, it was just like a glimpse into their world separate from us, from me I and think, my sister. Yeah. And it also, you know, I don't, I'd have to dig to figure out when I saw my parents that way. But like, I think that's something that you don't automatically do as a kid is ever think of your parents as a couple. Yeah. 
other than a couple of people who are taking care of you. Yes. Um, so I think that's that could be why that sticks out too. It's all you know, like it, like I said, it's all that tied together. My grandfather mm-hmm. and being a teen, like it was my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. So it's all of these memories kind of wrapped together in that one thing. So yeah. that is one of my most important memories. Yeah. And um the other thing I remember, which is a little bit, I don't I guess it's important to me because it kind of framed something for me that I hadn't thought about in that way and that I didn't think really, that I really had no kind of um, context for until Mm -hmm. now was post the Trump election. Mm -hmm. When I was at my school, I was a safety patrol sponsor and every morning we would sit down to eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. And so I remember very specifically on that day, one of the kids, he was from an immigrant family. Mm-hmm. His parents were from Cote d'Ivoire, maybe the Ivory Coast mm-hmm. in Africa. And one of the other kids, I don't, we were talking about the election or whatever. And one of the other kids was like, where are you from? And he looked like, he looked scared to answer. Mm. And so my answer was, and I did, and like now that I think about it, I don't know that my answer was necessarily true. My answer was like, he's from the United States. Mm-hmm. And the kid looked at me because it was a, the kid who asked the question was pretty smart, and he was looked at me kind of strange. But the look that I noticed on Muhammad's face was like surprise and like like a, almost a look of gratitude mm. because in that moment he didn't want to be different. Because being different because was, suddenly... Being di- was suddenly not like everything was so political and he didn't yeah. want to be different in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me for as like, well, thanks for doing that. So that he didn't have to do the whole awkward, well, my parents are from mm-hmm. and all of this. And I like, for some reason, that's always that since that moment, especially with everything that's been going on, even being a, like, I'm even being black in America, I'm still an American, like mm-hmm. my folks you know, descendant of the enslaved. Mm-hmm. And like, it was just like to see his, the look of relief on his face to not have to explain that was just something that I've never witnessed before. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Those are just two really kind of, you know, from different yeah. spectrums of my life that yeah. are important. What about you? What are you? Well, the two most important memories I would say one being similar to you where it's not just like a specific event more of a collection of events I think mine might even be stretched out even more is when my dad had cancer he was diagnosed at the end of 2009 and so I have like just like a variety of different stories along that that path between August of 09 and January of 2011 when he passed um and it's interesting to me also when I think back about that time and how how scared we were in general and like anxious and all the things that come with someone close to you having like a very serious illness that then turn into a terminal illness. The things that really stick with me are such light, funny things, which I think is a little bit of who I am already that I'm able to like in most situations, find the thing that's funny. Um, But my dad and I, we, I was not a daddy's girl. That's one thing I can say for sure about myself. 
I wasn't at anybody's girl. I was just very independent. I'm just, yeah. I'm an Aries. So I was out here for me. <laughs> like I'm out here doing what I, out here trying to find a boy. I just boy crazy. Like I said before, but, um, it's not a daddy's girl. We used to fight a fair amount. I was, uh, in the same place in the same city as he. So I ended up becoming his caretaker, which I actually think was like, not actually think it was exactly the way it was supposed to be. You know, we, we went through this journey together, he and I, like I would take him to appointments and, and different things like that. Um, my mom was at the moment, like working out of state. And so she was in town sometimes. And obviously, um, you know, was part of taking care of him, but I was kind of with him every day. We lived in the same house. And so the couple things that come to mind from that time are like, so silly. Like he and I went to Kroger once and there was some sign that said, like, if your item is rung up wrong, you get that thing for free. So if they put the wrong price in, that you get it for free. So we went in for a couple of different things. One of which that we ended up buying, I'm not sure if that's why we went in there, but we ended up buying a rotisserie chicken, like a cooked chicken. Yeah. And they rung it up wrong. So he had bought it because my dad was like a discount seeking kind of person. Yeah. So he had bought it because it was on sale at a certain price. So he had lodged that price in his head. So when they rung it up, he saw the wrong price go in. And so he was like, that's not the price on the thing we're not paying for the chicken. And so I was like, <laughs> Lord, dad, you know, I'm like, you're sick. Like we it's just, a, and we're talking a, difference of like three fifty versus like, you know, basically 50. we get like $3 back. Yeah. And I'm like, can we just go? And he's like, no, no, <laughs> he's no like, and so there, the, the chick behind the register is like, uh, I'm sorry, sir. Like, you know, basically like I'll finish ringing you up. The process is that I'll finish ringing you up you have to take this receipt over to customer service. So then I'm, I'm additionally like, no, we're not doing that. Like, we're not going <laughs> to stay in the store to get back $3. He was adamant. He was adamant. He's like, we are getting this chicken for free. So we go get, wait in the line. There was a oh. line. There were like at least two or three people in front of us. And I'm just like, I know you are like, Sir, can we please? Can so I anyway, we get, we get, he gets his 359 or whatever it was back and is just happily puts that money in his pocket. Like so excited. So anyway, I was like a little annoyed, but also like by this point, like a little tickled that he is just so committed to getting this $3 back. <laughs> so then we get home and we call my mom and my sister and we're telling them about this. And then my dad's like, it tastes better because it's free. <laughs> Like, I was like, dad, I think you're right. I think this chicken is better. It does taste better because we didn't have to pay for it. You were right. And so I don't know if I'll ever forget that free chicken tastes better than chicken you have to pay for. That is a life lesson right there. I mean, get your $3 back, $3 back. It tastes better because it's free. That is a word on today. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's one of the big ones. Like that whole stretch of time, there's lots of little moments in there that are are very, very meaningful to me. Um, the other big one is my wedding day. Um, and I think there are lots of things about the season leading up to my wedding that were fun, but the day itself, cause you know, that's kind of like the payoff. Like yeah. you do all this planning and it's like for this Indeed. one day and, and you DIY know, why you, you did it. I DIY the shit out of that wedding. And it was and lovely. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, it's like all these decisions that you make that you hope are going to play out 
the way that you envision them. Cause you never, you know, I've never had a wedding day, my own yeah. wedding day. And so it was a, a great day, right? The weather was absolutely perfect. Could not yes. have been any better than it was. So that it also was beautiful. Like the, the pictures look incredible. Cause like the sky was bright blue. So it was just like, that was, there's so many things that just went perfectly. Yes. Um, so there are several things. One, I felt very validated as a planner. <laughs> I like was patting myself on the back. I was like, bitch, you did it. Yeah, you did that. <laughs> you have it done was, it. It was, it was flawless. And the second thing that I felt was like just holistically held up by my community. And I felt like across the board from people that I knew very, very well to people who I, you know, knew less well. I got so much love and so much like little bits of support that just, it was just such a warm, supported feeling. One small example is that before 11 a.m., I think three different people had texted me and asked me if I wanted something from Starbucks, you know, and several of those people knew exactly what I ordered from Starbucks and they'd be like, do you want me to get it? And I'm like, no, I, cause I had a super early hair appointment, obviously. So I had gotten my own Starbucks. So I was like, I'm fine. But that was, it just across the board, people were just supportive. My bridesmaids were just like, what's the right word? They were aggressively keeping me away <laughs> from any drama. Now, again, there wasn't much drama. No. But if you talk to one of them, they might tell you more drama than I knew about because they were like, it doesn't come to you. Like, and all of my vendors did what they were supposed to do. It just, the community aspect was, was perfect. Yeah. Um, and then the other big thing, um, two other big things. One is that we centered, we really focused on centering the day on us as a couple. And so I've been part of a lot of weddings from having done some uh, event planning or event coordinating for people but also just like being friends with people and then ending up supporting them in, in close ways on their wedding days. And so often, so often I see the stress of the event get in between the bride and the groom. And I was just determined. I was determined that that would not be the case for us. And so we planned a lot of little, we planned things so that we could stay connected to each other during the day. And then I like really had to work on my own mindset to make sure that I was focused on Lance because really as a planner, as a person who cares a lot about the experiences of the people around me, I could have been very focused on other things other than, other than Lance. And so at the, I, I told myself, I was like, look, this is not the weekend to hang out with your home girls and homeboys. Like, this is not it. You will see them. You will get to spend moments with them but this is not it. And if you only talk to some of your very best friends for like an hour over the course of these three or four days, then that's just what it is because that's not the point. And so that was very, the fact that I had done that mindset work, I think helped a lot. Um, and then the last thing is that it reminded me that my gut is trustworthy um, because there were a lot of those decisions along the way are just gut decisions. Yeah. And you think, like I said, you think something's going to be a certain way and you hope that it will be that way. Yeah. And it was like, so like most of the decisions that I made played out exactly the way that I, my gut told me that they would. And so 
that was a great kind of general reminder about that. Yeah, I'm not, and I, I think that is, think, first of all, as a person who attended your wedding, all of that, all of that, it was Thank great, you. it was wonderful. The thing that I love most about it, and I mean, this is kind of delving on the topic, is that just to bring back to that concept of family, all of your different families was there, were there. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who has like known who they all are, the community <laughs> thing was beautiful. Like, right. It I'm was. like, oh, there's so-and-so people I've never met, but had right. only heard of through you, but knew through you and knew through your relationships with them. Yeah. It was exciting to see them. And that's I how think, people felt about you too. I, They're like, I met Stan. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, right? It was like, oh my God. It's great. <laughs> it just, it felt really good. And I think that is, again, kind of what, I mean, that's what family is, right? It is yeah. this extension, this, um, just this community feeling. And I think that your wedding was really just kind of the epitome of that. So it was a delight. Yeah. Um, and one of my best, most important memories yeah. ever, I think. Yeah. So, yay. Remembering good times. I think that is the ultimate lesson yeah. is that when you just have the, I mean, I think memories are always going to be shaped by the context that they have. Mm-hmm. And if you have, again, I think it comes back to, if you have that foundation mm-hmm. that ultimately, even though your context may not be like you dealing with your father's illness, mm-hmm. bereavement. I think that ultimately when you're a context about who you are and your awareness, that is going to change. That's going to make shape how you remember things. Yeah. And, and also, yeah, I think it, it makes, you know, and obviously this, there are certain memories that are, that are traumatic, right. And aligned to things where, you were supposed to be taken care of and you weren't and things like that, that are much bigger than the types of things that we are talking about in terms of like, like pain. Right. And so I think that those things sit in a a little bit of a different space and like, but I think even with those, there's a certain amount of processing that can help you situate that into something that is, I think that's the, meaningful for you. Right. And ultimately, that's something that you can like observe and understand. Exactly. And so I think, you know, I don't, I would never want to say that anything like that is a tool, right? Cause that, that feels like dangerous in some ways, mm-hmm. but to be able to like observe and understand your memories, um, I think is important. And I think that that is what is really powerful about memory when you are like conscious of it, when you are like intentional with it and you say like, let me understand what happened to me and what does it mean? And then I can do something with it going forward. So something happened, which then is gonna make something else happen. And you get to be that kind of middle ground between what happened and what will happen as you try to, as you look back and understand what happened. So. I think that's it. That is a beautiful statement to end on. <laughs> well, so what's up for you then this week? Uh, what's up for me is Instagram.com slash they have the range. Ooh. I love, I like vocalists. Okay. So 
which means I like, I particularly R&B jazz vocalist. Mm-hmm. So the way I got to, they got, they have the range is because there is this TikTok going around by this young gentleman named Cameron Good. Mm-hmm. And he sings like this one refrain, and I will not try to sing it, of <laughs> Talking to the Moon by Bruno Mars. Okay. And he does it beautifully. So if you go to They Have the Range, you'll see it. But then, of course, I went into the Instagram deep dive on They Have the Range. And it's just like 30-second snapshots, maybe a minute. Sometimes he does what he calls a dump, whoever runs the account. Mm-hmm. He or she does a dump where they just do like five or six videos a minute each of just your favorites and people you don't know who just mm-hmm. have amazing voices. And you can just click on that, like just click on the post and just listen to people sing. Which is always worth the time. Just cause... always. And you'll just be like, and then you, of course, then you'll go to YouTube and be like, do they have a YouTube? And you just, but yeah, they have the range. And then the sun goes down and it's the next day and you're like, wait. I didn't do anything I was supposed to, but I now think I can sing. <laughs> what about you? What's going on? What's up for you? Well, I am 50% of the way to being vaccinated. And so I am hitting the streets. Um, And really, I should say, I need to stop saying the streets. What I mean is the skies, because I booked three flights today. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I mean, you know, it's like there's like the two-week window after your second shot. I'm talking about out the door on a flight. (laughs) So I just, you know, I miss my people. And so I still don't know that I'm going to be going to anybody's restaurant. However, I am going to go to the houses of other fully vaccinated people. people so give them hugs. Right. And, no, you know, I... because we got married right before the pandemic, we were on a, a travel embargo, really, for some months leading up to the wedding. Like, we're like, we can't come visit you. If you want a plate of food on January 18th, no, <laughs> we're not coming. And so it's been a long time since I've seen some people, like my sister in person. Um Aww. And my, my lovely, lovely niece who has grown up so much, you know, at the wedding, she was six. Is that right? Yes. And she's seven now. She's going to be eight this year. Yeah. And I'm like, you changed so much between six and eight. And so I haven't seen my, my precious little niece who I love so much. Um, And then I'm also going to New Orleans to see Stephanie, which is going to be great. And Lance and I are taking a vacation. Ooh. We're taking a summer vacation and okay. we just picked a random city. So we're just going to a random city okay. and we're going to like explore. So get in them streets. Them vaccination life. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I think that's it for this week. Support for this podcast comes from Lilac on York Creative Studios. The family meeting is produced by me and Allison. Additional production, audio mixing, and sound editing by Will Salua, who also wrote and produced our theme song entitled 135th and Coffee. Need a unique track, beat, or sound mixing and editing? You can find his email address and IG handle in our show notes every week. You can find the show notes on what we discussed, including links posted in the blog section on lilacsonyork.com. You can also visit the podcast tab on the website to listen to all of the current episodes. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at lilacsonyork. You can find me on social at Allison K. Mason on IG and Twitter, even though I do not tweet. You can find me on social at Twice11 on IG and Twitter, even though I don't post on IG. Thanks for listening. Meet you here next week.